Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Would you open your Bible with me? Pray that my voice holds out. Luke chapter 15. Let's give honor to God's word together. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything... A severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be in need. And he went and he attached himself to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Again, we pray that you will open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive what you have for us. I pray that you will bless the word of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Let them be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. May you be glorified in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, we've just finished the book of Hebrews, and we're getting ready to go into the book of Revelation. And so Matt asked me if I would preach today, and he said, do whatever you want. And I said, really? Uh, I really felt drawn to come back to this. There is a danger in looking at a passage of scripture like this because it's so familiar to us. We know the story of the prodigal son. 
We know all that went on, and it's so familiar that it's easy for us to just kind of tune things out. But I want to encourage us not to do that this morning. I want to encourage us to just be open to something new and fresh that God would have for us in a very familiar passage of Scripture. The late Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole had a significant impact on my life. Had the privilege of meeting him on a couple of occasions. He probably wouldn't have remembered me. Well, maybe he would have because he uh, stuck his finger in my face and said, repent, because of some of my uh, attitudes that were cultural. Nothing sinful, but it was just a negativity and well, that's a rabbit trail I can't go down right now. This morning, we'll never get into this. But Ed Cole used to say, maturity does not come with age, but with the acceptance of responsibility. And kids, here's a fill in the blank for you. He said, your gifts will take you places that your character cannot sustain you. That is so true. And I'll have more to say that about that in a minute, but, but just for the moment, think about some of our high-profile athletes who have gifts and ability beyond imagination. Janice and I have been watching some of the Olympics. I did not know the human body could move in the ways that some of these gymnasts move, and you just get dizzy just watching them and all the things they do. It's absolutely amazing. The gifts, the abilities of these people, and they become the superstars. And yet, how often do we hear the tragic stories of these high-profile athletes and, unfortunately, political leaders and religious leaders who don't have the character to go along with their gifts and ability. Dr. Cole is so right when he says that your gifts, your abilities will take you places that your character cannot sustain you. Again, as we look at this parable, the parable of uh, the prodigal son, in some respects, I think it is misnamed. It's really the parable of the loving father. And I'm not sure whether Aiden or Matt picked out the songs that we sang this morning, but I was impressed again, because at least Matt knew what I was going to preach on, at some of the things that we saw about the Father, no matter how vile, no matter how sinful, he is there welcoming us. We sang about, my sins are many, but his mercy is more. Just a profound thing. I moved as I go back down through this scripture, and I look in verse 20. You see the father who knew his son. And at the risk of getting ahead of myself, I can believe that the father every day went a little farther down the lane, knowing this might be the day when his son would come home. Verse 20 tells how he sees him from afar, and he runs and he embraces him. Now understand, Jesus is telling this parable. The story didn't actually happen. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's telling this to illustrate to the scribes and the Pharisees the love and the acceptance of God the Father. 
And they would have caught the significance, and we'll pick up on a couple of things here a little bit later, but they would have picked up on the significance. Can you imagine a Jewish father who didn't have a hog on the place, whose husband, son comes home, can you imagine what he smelled like, having worked with the pigs? And he hugs him. He kisses him. He embraces him. He welcomes him. It's an amazing word picture that Jesus gives. Now again, to understand this parable, you've got to go back into verses 1 and 2, where the tax gatherers and the sinners uh, were coming near to Jesus, and he was spending time with them. Can you imagine how upset the scribes and the Pharisees were when Jesus goes to the home of Zacchaeus? Jewish man, who in the mind of his fellow Jews had sold out to the Romans and had become a tax collector. And there's a lot in that story that we don't have time to go into. But the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling, it said, looking at Jesus. Would have fit in with our class this morning, uh, Pete, on how we deal with church problems. Look at that guy. Yeah, Jesus. This rabbi from Nazareth, he's spending all his times with these sinners. He even eats with them. Because culturally, to eat with them, became, you became one with them. That's why it's good for the church to worship together, to pray together, and to play together, and to eat together. Next Sunday's going to be great. We'll enjoy that time of worship in time of fellowship and eating together. There is a sense in the Eastern thought that as we do that, we become one with the people that we are eating with. So, scribes and Pharisees are so angry, they are so upset. Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son to demonstrate the love that God has for lost and broken people. And aren't you glad that God reached out to us in our brokenness? One of my favorite things to say over the last 20, 30 years has been that we are all broken people in various stages of being healed by the grace of God. I'm impressed that the prodigal actually prayed two prayers. And if we're honest, we're pretty good at praying the first one. Father, give me. Think about how we often pray. Isn't it generally our gimme list, our want list? God, I need you to do this for me, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. I'm telling on myself, but you know, one of the things that I, I just looked forward to so much as a kid is when the Christmas catalogs came in the mail. Do you remember those? Oh, it was glorious. And I'm going through, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. Too much stuff. Yeah. Isn't that the way we are? 
And so often it's like we've turned God into some celestial Santa Claus who is up there, out there somewhere to give us what we want, when we want it, and in the way we want it. And if he doesn't, then we say, hmm, where's God? I wonder if there's even a God. Because it's all about me getting what I want when I want it. There is so much in this this parable that we don't have time to go into today. But I want to focus on a couple of things. Father, give me. I, I, conf- I confess that I believe that for most of us as Christians, that's our favorite prayer. Father, give me. And the amazing thing is the Father knows what we can handle. Our Heavenly Father, He knows if we are ready to handle our inheritance as saints or not. See, the youngest son had a right to the inheritance. Now, Matt, if you're watching on the live stream, I want you to know that in those days, there were two boys. So the father's inheritance was, invited, was divided into three portions. And the oldest son got two portions, and the youngest son got one portion. So, Matt, we're not doing that. <laughs> Jason, don't worry. We'll see if I get any response from that today or next week. The youngest son had a right to a third of his father's estate. But here's the thing. He didn't have a right to it until after father had died. But how often are we so impatient and we say, God, I want it now. I want what's mine. As if we were ready to handle all that God has for us. See, when we begin to demand our rights, our spiritual inheritance, it generally leads to problems. Because you see, while we have the power, we don't have the character of Jesus to back it up. We don't have the spiritual maturity to handle it. I look back over the years... And I will tell you, I am so grateful to God that he did not give me everything I asked for. He didn't open all the doors of ministry that I I asked him to open for us. I'm so thankful. I look back, I would have never been able to handle it. It was his mercy that protected me from myself. Remember when I was in college, Fort Wayne at what was then IPFW, walked into a literature class one morning. Professor walks in, says, all right, pull out pencil and paper. We're having a quiz. And we go, oh, no. He said, you should have read the cartoon strip Pogo. It was a bad day for Pogo. It's a bad day for you. And in the wisdom of Pogo, he said, we have met the enemy and he is us. Clearly, that happened some 50 years ago, and I've never forgot it. My biggest problem is me. And God, in his mercy and his grace, so often protects me from me. You see, power, authority, Positions, 
gifts and abilities without godly character is a formula for disaster. The youngest son wanted what was rightfully his, and he wanted it now. I will resist the temptation from looking at what's going on in culture, but I know in your mind you're already connecting the dots with what's going on in culture today and how so many people are demanding things now. We want our rights, we want it now, and if we don't get what we want now, there will be consequences. That's the prodigal. I want what's mine and I want it now. Tell you what, teenagers, it's probably one of the hardest lessons in life to learn. I'm seeing some dads turn and looking at their kids right now. But to trust the wisdom of your parents who have had a whole lot more life experience than you. And while you may think they are old-fashioned, they love you. And they really do want the best for you. When we begin to demand of God, we set ourselves up for problems. It was the second mistake. You know, I think he could have survived that first mistake of demanding his inheritance if he would have stayed close to his father. But the scripture says it wasn't many days after that that he packs up everything and takes off. Oh, he was the rising star. He had his inheritance. He had money. He had power. He had all the answers. And dad was old-fashioned. You know, I heard it said years ago, and this is so true. You know, when we're, when we're kids, you know, like we're four or five, my daddy can do anything. When we're six or seven, my dad can beat up your dad. When we get to be teenagers, my dad doesn't know anything. And then we get into our late 20s and 30s and we say, man, I wish I could talk to dad about this. I wonder what dad would say. How would dad handle this situation? No, he wanted to be on his own. I'll tell you what, I remember when I was a senior in high school back in the last century, I thought I'm going to graduate from high school and nobody's going to tell me what to do. Now, many of you sit out there and smile and laugh because you know there's always going to be somebody telling you what to do at some juncture in life. But I had it in my head. I was going to be my own boss. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Yeah, and when that happens, you end up in shipwreck. But that was his attitude. Oh, he was the rising star. Here's a fill-in-the-blank for you. Spiritual gifts exercised apart from intimate relationship with the Father will eventually destroy us because the gifts will run out. 
And when you go through this parable, you, Jesus says he, he goes to this distant country and a famine hits. He squanders everything, verse 13. He spends it all. I remember as a kid going on vacation, my mom just drilled into me, always come home with money. Don't spend everything you have. Always come home with money. It was drilled into me. You get money, 10% goes to the Lord, 10% goes into savings, and you live on the rest. Drilled into me. Gifts run out. Oh, the prodigal, he was the rising star. He had all of the friends until his gifts ran out. And then there was nobody. And it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, that isn't going to happen to me. Oh, yes, it will. If you don't have the money, if you don't have the gifts, you don't have the ability. How many of these great athletes with great abilities, we don't even remember their names anymore? I was going to say, who won the World Series last year? But I remember, and that was not good. The gifts run out. There's something very wonderful that happens. He comes to the end of himself. He's left home. He took everything with him, verse 13. He has no intention of ever coming back. My brother told me one time, if I ever come back to Topeka, it means I'm a failure in life. I thank God we live in this area. What a blessing. There are people that want to get as far away as they can because they don't want anybody to tell them what to do. Now, Jesus is making an earthly application here, but, but put that in the spiritual context. Remember years ago, talking to our next-door neighbor who was a doctor, Inviting him to church. Never forgot what he said to me. I've been preached at long enough. And he refused to ever go to church. What a sad thing. Because I'm going to be in control. I want what's mine. I want to control my life. And I want to do it now. Verse 13. This third mistake. He just wastes everything. You know, you sow what you, what you reap. No, you reap what you sow. There we go. Did you catch that? I guarantee you, when, when our boys were small, if I said something wrong, I heard about it after the service. I thought they weren't paying attention at all, but boy, they missed every one of Dad's mistakes. What you sow, you will reap. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says that bad character... Bad company will corrupt good character. I had lunch with some guys Friday. One of them told me, he said, Harold, I'm just waiting to make your sermon. And I said, okay. That'll work on Sunday. I'll just tell them that uh, 
1 Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company corrupts good character. See, our true nature gets revealed by what we do when we think nobody is watching us or that we'll never get caught. Now, one of the scariest things to think about is what would I do if nobody ever knew or if I never got caught? Let that sink in. I tell you, I realized about myself that apart from the grace of God, I'm capable of doing most anything. And that's frightening. He runs out of money. He runs out of popularity. Popularity is long, only lasts as long as the gift lasts. And you look at verses 14 through 16, and you think, here's a Jewish boy. Now put yourself for a minute in the position of the scribes and the Pharisees who are hearing this. And Jesus is using the, this parable and making the analogy of swine, of pigs, unclean animals. Do you realize that shortly before Jesus was born, that Samaritans got into the temple area, history tells us, and they scattered the body parts of pigs all around the temple area. There would have been nothing they could have done to, that would have desecrated the temple area more than that. And there was a decree that no Samaritan was allowed anywhere close to the temple. Now, file that away and put that in the context of when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because this was very fresh to the Jewish people. And here is Jesus talking about this Jewish boy and how low he has fallen. He's got nothing to eat. He's feeding pigs. And he wants to eat the pods, that, which would actually, in the, in the Greek, was carob pods, carob fake chocolate. He wants to eat that. What a humiliation for a Jewish boy to be in that position. Here again is something that, that I think is, is a gift of the grace of God. Is that physical poverty and spiritual needs can be a gift of God. They can be very healthy for us when we are in a, in a wayward condition, when we are away from God. Because suddenly... This jars us back to reality, and we begin to remember, and he thinks back, man, when I was a kid at home, I had a nice bed to sleep in. I had clean clothes. I didn't worry about washing my own clothes. I didn't worry about what I was going to eat. It was always there, and there was always plenty, and Dad didn't have a hog on the farm. And here I am wanting to get down and eat with the pigs. It's interesting what David says in Psalm 119. 
And in, in verse 67, he says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And then in, in verse 71, he says, It was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Choices have consequences. And God will forgive us, but many times he allows us to suffer and go through the consequences of our choices. David says, before God brought discipline into my life, I went astray. But I went through affliction. I went through hard times. I went through difficulty. And he said, hey, it was good for me because I learned your statutes. See, when we understand that we have a loving God, that we understand that his discipline of his children is not out of anger. The problem is that far too often we as earthly fathers discipline out of anger and our kids pick up on that and they see God as a God who disciplines out of anger. Because let's, let's be honest, parents, about what we do. Our kids are doing something that's not good or going to get them in trouble. And what do we say? Stop it! And they keep on. Well, then what do we say? I told you! One more time! One, two... Yeah, they always know three. And you don't want to get to three. It was like my grandmother when I was a kid in Oregon. She'd call us to wake up and get up. She'd call several times. But I'll tell you what, when Grandpa came to the, to the stair and called up, we got up right away. You knew. But so often we just put things off and then we explode. And what happens when I explode and I discipline in anger as an earthly father, that gets transmitted to my kids that that's how their heavenly father is. That's not in my notes. That was just free. Well, let's move to the, the second prayer of the prodigal. And this is the one that, that I, 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 I just pray that, that, that God helps me to pray more and more and more. He comes to his senses. Verse 18, he says, I'll go to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Can you imagine? I don't know how long it a distance it was or how long it would have taken him to go home. And, and I understand this is a parable, so you have to be very careful not to build too much theology into this. But picture this. He's walking home, and he is rehearsing this prayer. What am I going to say to Dad? And he's going through it in his mind. I'm sorry. No, Father, I've sinned. No, no, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And you realize that all sin is ultimately against heaven. And in your sight, can you imagine how well rehearsed this prayer is? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, there's a spiritual principle here of what happens. Sin destroys our self-worth and robs us of our identity as well as puts a barrier in our path 
so that we cannot approach the Father. I remember sitting with a man had cancer. His wife told him, you need to talk to somebody. <laughs> he didn't want to talk to anybody. Well, who will you talk to? He said, I'll talk to Harold. And I remember sitting with him. And he was terminal. And I can, I can see him today as clearly as I see you. Sitting on the end of his bed. And I, and I looked at him and I said, Tom, has there ever been a time when you made a conscious decision to repent of your sin and to ask Jesus to come into your life? He said, yes. I said, did he do it? I can see his shoulders begin to shake, and he said, that's where I have the problem because my sins are so many. What a blessing to be able to share with him from the scripture. We joined hands. Sitting on the end of his bed. And do you ever have anybody, if you wear a ring, you know they squeeze your fingers so tight. It hurt. And we prayed. And at the end of that, there was such peace and forgiveness. He died in right relationship with God. I'll never forget that. Never forget how he struggled and said, my problem is my sins are so great. The enemy of our soul will constantly remind us of all of our sins. That's how he operates. But this parable is not the parable of the prodigal son. As I said, I think it's the parable of the father who's looking, longing for that son to come home. And I would say to us, that's the heart of God our Father. He's longing for us to come. Longing for us to move beyond that spiritual, teenage, childish period where it's all about me and saying, Father, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. To when we come to the point of we say, Father, make me. Make me like you. I, I love verse 20. If you have your Bible open, he sees him from a long distance off. He's been looking. As I said, he knows that boy. He knows it's not going to be long till he's going to be coming back. Sees him, feels compassion, runs, embraces him, kisses him. Again, I, my brain works in strange ways, but I'm trying to imagine what he must have, that boy must have smelt like. I can't. I don't want to. If you followed in the parable, it's an amazing thing. Verse 21. He doesn't get a chance to finish the prayer. You say, Father... I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy. Servants! Come! Bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Get that boy some shoes. You, go get the fatted calf, kill it. We're going to celebrate. 
Can you imagine what that scene would have been like? Again, put it in the context of the Pharisees and the scribes who are hearing this, understood it culturally, how radical this would have been. Because in all reality, a boy who would have done this would have been dead to his family forever. And it's interesting what Jesus uses as an analogy. Now, we read through this, and and this is one of the dangers. We know this so well that we just kind of subconsciously tune out. But I want to challenge you to think like a scribe or Pharisee for a moment in their frame of reference. Put the best robe on him. Wow. That robe speaks of restoration. It speaks of position. It speaks of honor. It speaks of dignity. Think back to Genesis 37. What is it that Joseph is given? The coat of many colors. I have to tell you, Aiden, when you were born, your dad came to me and said, so when's he getting his coat? Esther chapter 6, verses 8 through 11. Mordecai is honored by the king because he is given the king's robe to wear. So in that setting, the best robe, that speaks volumes to them in that culture. For us, we say, you know, go to Walmart, get him something decent to wear. But culturally, that best robe was put in that position of honor and dignity and favor. Here was a son who had defied his father, who had left his father, and is now given the best robe, and he is in favor as the favored son. Put a ring on his finger. Now see, for us culturally, that doesn't mean much. But in those days, in that culture, it was incredibly significant. Official documents were sealed with wax, and generally it was with a signet ring. Genesis 41, verse 42, Pharaoh gave Joseph a ring. Esther chapter 3, verse 10, Haman is given a ring by the king. Esther chapter 8, verse 2, the king's ring is taken from Haman and it is now given to Mordecai. It's a symbol of authority and generally they were signet rings. Again, for us, living here in northeast Indiana, we don't think too much about that. But in that culture, what a powerful thing. Now begin to make some spiritual applications. We know that As sinners, when we come in brokenness and repentance, we are clothed with the best robe, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There's authority. Interesting, the third thing was put some sandals on his feet. Now, why is that important? I'll resist the temptation of making some comments about all the people that I see going around barefooted. But in that culture, slaves, prisoners of war, the first thing they did is they took away their sandals and made them go barefooted. 
I see these kids around here going barefoot and run on the stones, and my feet hurt just watching them walk on the stones. There was a reason they took their shoes. It was bondage, symbol of bondage, to have your shoes taken away from you. You were a prisoner. You were a slave. And you know what's interesting? Let me just go back to Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 2. God speaks an interesting thing to the prophet. I'm so thankful he has not spoken this to me, and you'll understand why. At that time, the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah. Go, loosen the sackcloth of your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so, going naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot three years as a sign and a token against Egypt and Cush, so this is going to happen to you. I cannot tell you how relieved I am that God has never told me to take off my clothes and go around naked. Thank you, Mike. We needed a little levity at this point. I share that to illustrate this point of what it meant for the father to put sandals on his feet. Now apply that spiritually where it talks about we have our shoes, our feet shod with what? Say it with me. The gospel of peace. Can you begin to see the powerful imagery? Slay the fatted calf. In many respects, a substitutionary sacrifice that has taken place. And the Jewish people would have understood that killing the fatted calf, symbolic of the sin offering being offered, and then that being shared together, being in right relationship, that sin is now forgiven, we are acceptable to the Father. They would have caught all of that spiritual significance where we in Indiana think, hmm, we're going to have barbecue. Sounds good. Because we don't understand the cultural setting, therefore we don't get the significance, and we can't make the, the application. Here again, Remember, Jesus is being criticized because he's spending time with publican sinners and he's eating with them. And the parable of the loving father kills the fatted calf and they eat and they celebrate. There is full fellowship. There is full restoration. That did not equate in their religious economy. Think for us today, church, how glorious that is. It's hard for me yet. I, I, I'm just sharing my heart with you. In some respects, it's hard for me, coming from my religious background, even to embrace all of this because I know it's true. Where it was constantly drilled into me, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you and then you need to do your part. Listen, the only thing I brought to my salvation was the need of my salvation, my sin. And having received that, there's nothing I can do to earn it or keep it. But oh, put yourself in the position 
of that prodigal. There's no more inheritance that he's going to get, but he's been restored to full fellowship. He's been restored to relationship. He's, been, he's now, again, a part of the family. Here's the point. No matter how far we wander, no matter how far we've gone, no matter what shameful things we have done, God is longing for you and me to come home so that he can forgive us. He can cleanse us. He can restore us. He can fill our hearts with the gospel of peace in relationship. I remember as a kid, church, there, there was always these <clears throat> invitation songs that we would sing. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. There was another one that I think really illustrates the heart of the Father. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See on the portals. He's watching. Watching for you and me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. I think if we could see, if we had spiritual eyes to see the heart of the Father, as he lovingly says, come home, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I don't know where you're walking today. I don't know what you're going through. But I, I can tell you this without hesitation. The enemy of your soul is a liar. And no matter what you've done, no, no matter how far you've strayed, there is a father who's waiting for you to come home. He's looking for you. He's anticipating it. There'll be a robe, a ring, sandals. There'll be a celebration. There'll be fellowship together. He's just waiting for us. Would you join your hearts in prayer with me? Lord, this is such a simple truth, and yet it is so profound. A truth that goes beyond anything that we could think or that we could comprehend. That you're longing, you're waiting, you're looking for us to come, eager for us to come. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've wandered, no matter what junk we've got ourselves into, you're waiting for us to come and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I know I'm not worthy. Forgive me. Make me as one of your servants. If you're here this morning and you've been away from God, I just invite you in the quietness of this moment to come back to him. He's eagerly waiting.
to forgive you, to restore you. If you've been guilty of only praying that first prayer, Father, give me, give me, give me, ask him to forgive you for that as well. And then begin to pray, Father, make me. Make me what you want me to be. Make me as one of your servants. God, do that work in my heart by your spirit that changes the focus off of me and where I am consumed from this day forward with serving you and making you great. Where it's about you, Father, and not me. We ask in your mercy and grace to do that. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Amen. If in the quietness of your heart you said, God, do a work in me, rest assured, he will take you at your word and he will do that. Families, I want to encourage you to spend some time together. It's in your bulletin. Talk with your kids. Talk with each other about how our choices have eternal consequences. And talk about why it's so easy for us to pray that first prayer of the prodigal, give me, give me, and so hard to pray the second one, Father, make me. Talk about how Jesus uses the Father in this parable to, to really describe and to demonstrate the heart of God towards sinners. Talk about what it means to be welcomed back, to be forgiven and restored in relationship. And then pray together. Pray together and allow time for each family member to ask for forgiveness. Close your time of prayer then by saying, Father, Make me, make us, make us as a family, as your servants who glorify you well. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.com dot co